unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. And I was reading the show notes for this week's episode and I'm looking at the title and I'm like, this is a really good headline. It's almost like David's a, an amazing copywriter or something. You know, it's almost like that. <laughs> yeah. So what do we got on the agenda for today's podcast episode? Okay. So, you know, with the year 2021 just closed out, I thought it would be fun to reminisce about my early days as a copywriter. You know, it was a second career for me. I started out as a business journalist. Of course, not knowing anything about copywriting when I first started, I assumed writing copy couldn't be all that different from writing news and feature stories, right? Well, I was about as wrong as I could be. And of course, I found out I learned the hard way. I seem to have developed a knack for learning that way. I don't know if I can save any new copywriters from the painful lessons I had to learn the hard way, but hope springs eternal. And who knows, even experienced copywriters might remember something they had forgotten or get some new ideas from hearing old truths. Before that, though, I don't expect you to get any new ideas when I tell you copy is powerful irresponsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, Nathan, each of these things to me are like iron laws that I remember, observe, and respect every time I sit down to write some copy myself or to critique copy for my clients. So here we go. First thing, your prospect is a tougher critic than any editor I ever had. You know, I came to writing copy from a newspaper and magazine writing background, and a lot of my editors were in New York. And let me tell you, New York editors are tough. They would nitpick facts and push hard to get specifics. It could get brutal. But there was one thing they never pushed hard on, and that was whether or not they believed the story. As long as you could demonstrate or explain your research, you'd get a pass on some of the wildest stuff. As long as you could prove to the editor it was factual. Now, in that way, compared to prospects, editors were an easy sell. After all, they didn't invest their own personal money in what you were writing or writing about, and they didn't stake their hopes and dreams on what you had to say. As long as you stayed out of legal trouble and they stayed out of trouble by doing their job, they would be satisfied. Prospects with copy? A completely different story. One thing it took me a while to really get at a muscle memory level was that just because something was true didn't mean your prospect would believe you. Trust was hard to earn and easy to lose. Simple factual proof of a claim was not always enough. 
prospect had to feel what you were saying was true. So how do you deal with that part? Some of it comes from experience, including failures, learning what not to do. Part of it comes from learning how to communicate effectively in an emotional way. The solution besides getting a lot of life experience was to learn everything I could about sales and persuasion and other related skills and subjects about what makes people tick. So before I move on to the next one, what do you think? Uh, the only thing I can say about this is I wish people viewed journalism with the same skepticism that they view advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've noticed a few Facebook posts you've made like that. Okay, fair enough. All right, second thing. It's almost impossible to sell anyone anything they don't want if you want the sale to stick. As I say right up front at the beginning of every show, copy is powerful. And when you first start writing copy, for a while you feel like you have superhuman powers. You believe you can convince anyone of anything and get people to do whatever you want them to do. But reality has seen this misunderstanding before. Reality will wait until there's a chance to prove you wrong in a really painful, embarrassing way. Because that way you'll learn sooner or later. Now, I've managed to erase memories of the specific times I learned this lesson, but it happened more than once, and it was very humbling every single time. The lesson, of course, was that no matter how persuasive you become, you don't have an unlimited ability to control the world. Once you get past that lesson, well, in my case anyway, the second hard reality sets in. You can't just sell people anything you decide to sell them. Hell, you can't even sell people what they need if they don't always realize they want it. I've seen a lot of businesses never take off because the owner decided the world needs this thing or that. Problem was, nobody wanted it. Or maybe people wanted it, but nobody was willing to pay for it. What I'm saying sounds obvious to the experienced copywriter or entrepreneur, but it also sounds ridiculous to the headstrong marketer without a lot of experience. Just remember... Reality is patiently waiting for new students to teach this uncomfortable truth to. Now, with really good salesmanship, sometimes you can get people to buy something they don't really want. But if you offer a guarantee, and it's pretty hard to sell most things without offering a guarantee, they'll send it back. Almost all of them, the sale won't stick. So the lesson from all of this is step one, find out what people really want. And step two, focus on selling that things people really want. Yeah. The only thing I can add to that is I remember being, like you said, starting out copywriting and realizing, wow, I can convince people to buy stuff. And it probably took I don't know, two or three years into my career before I finally realized I should only be selling to people who actually want this instead of trying to convince people to buy it. And like you said, even the people who need it, usually it's a lot easier to convince them if they already know that they want it. So I look at copywriting as less of a manipulation tactic or a force tactic and more of a nudge tactic now. I think that's a great way to look at it, more of a nudge tactic. 
I like that. Yeah. All right. The third thing I didn't quite, I had an idea about, but it was pretty fuzzy. Now I have a very clear idea. Most advertising you see in the media doesn't sell anything. One of my favorite things I say is I used to hate advertising, but now I only hate bad advertising. I think I could change that further since I've changed. I even like some bad advertising. It's kind of funny watching an emu dressed up as a detective trying to sell insurance. I like the advertising, but to be honest, I don't respect it at all. Why? Because it is a waste of money for the advertiser, as far as I can tell, since it doesn't sell anything. Most people who do the kind of advertising with squawking emus, babbling geckos, and talking owls don't really get too specific about how their ads affect sales. And to be fair to them, how could they get specific? They don't know. Nobody really knows with these ads. But when you talk to businesses who depend on advertising for their sales, you know, some businesses like, let's say, an insurance company that uses an emu, they have a huge deployment of regional offices and agencies and agents. They have many, many marketing arms, okay? But when you talk about businesses who solely depend on advertising for their sales, not knowing if it works is the same as advertising not working at all. With direct response advertising, it's measurable. We know for a fact whether or not it works. And when it's done right, it does work. It does sell something. But I think we know about measurable advertising and return on ad spend. And I think we're a fairly small part of the business community, growing, growing probably, but still pretty small. Bottom line, small businesses and businesses that depend on their advertising entirely for new customers, they need their ads to work. And though most of the ads you see on TV and online won't do that for them, direct response advertising will. Comments, questions, raspberries, bouquets. <laughs> Just, I guess, a distinction. What we do is direct response copywriting. We're, re we're writing to get an actual response out of people, and then we're measuring the response to see how good our advertising was. The other type of advertising I like to think of as reminder advertising. It's just there to remind the audience that your business exists. That's okay to do if you've got a war chest for your advertising campaign, if your budget is in the billions of dollars. But for most of my clients, they're small and medium-sized businesses. So reminder advertising isn't going to cut it. And I can't justify my what I charge for my retainer fees off of reminder advertising. Yeah, I think there's a really good way to put it. Yeah, that's good. All right, fourth thing. This is a tough one for me. Cleverness and copy can work against you. Speaking of the vast majority of advertising, but not direct response, what makes those ads stand out is how clever they are. Big advertising agencies have their own version of the Academy Awards called the Clios. They hold ceremonies and give out little statuettes to each other. And often the reason an ad wins a Clio is because of its creativity, which is shorthand for cleverness. 
Coming right into copywriting with no background in direct response marketing, most of my worldview about advertising was shaped by what I had seen on TV and in magazines and newspapers. I'd been programmed by everything I'd seen, heard, or read to think that cleverness was a good thing when it came to advertising. Back in the early 1990s, when I got really serious about learning copywriting, I would start reading Gary Halbert's newsletters and studying his ads. Here are three headlines from his winning ads. Amazing new formula from Beverly Hills lets you look years younger. How to make money with your credit cards. How to burn off body fat hour by hour. Hmm. Those don't sound very clever, do they? And they're not unless you define clever as capable of bringing in huge amounts of money it took me a while to shift my mindset. I read a lot of books, hand copied a lot of ads and letters and worked with a lot of clients and slowly I got better. And then suddenly I got really better results shot into the seven and even eight figures for single promotions. But all the while I was writing less and less clever copy. Here's what I realized after all these years, clever impresses the intellectual part of the brain. It shrieks with delight at the humor, double meaning, and inventiveness. Plain, direct, problem-driven, and benefit-driven copy motivates the emotional parts of the brain. And that's the motivation you want your copy to do. Go ahead, Nathan. Say something clever. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back just a little bit and say that there was cleverness in Gary Halbert's headline writing because I noticed a kind of a, a theme with the majority of his headlines was they were unbelievable enough to grab your attention, but believable enough to get you to invest the time in reading them. So a lot of times like make money with your credit card or secret of looking young revealed by Hollywood insiders or something like that. It's like just enough believability to make you take it seriously, but just enough unbelievability to grab your attention. And I think that that was very clever of him to write his headlines that way. Okay. I'll give you that. Absolutely. I'm talking about a different kind of clever. Mm -hmm. So let's say make money with your credit cards. You know, I agree that his cleverness was pushing believability to the point where your eyes went wide open and you had to read it. But suppose you had a headline that said, make money the old fashioned way with a kerchief and a gun, right? <laughs> very, very clever, but, and actually more believable, but you know, total bullshit, right? Yeah. I also run into a problem a lot of times with the people that I'm working with, their taglines or the headlines that they already have. They're very clever and they're very proud of them. They're like, look how clever I am. But nine, actually 99 times out of 100, clarity beats cleverness. Yeah, and there is a sort of a certain clever algorithm in the, in the mind of the copywriter, including yours, to figure out how do I push the edge just enough so that people go, wow, but they don't go, forget about it. That's ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. 
That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. So let's get to the fifth thing I wish I had known when I first started writing copy. The better you know your target market, the better your copy will do. In many ways, the easiest market to sell to is one you are part of once you get past the curse of knowledge, which means remembering your prospects know much less about your particular product than you do, but you can write copy like you're writing it to a friend, especially in that market, since there are people just like you. And when I came into copywriting, I thought I might have had the niche market problem solved because most of my career as a journalist, I've been writing for trade magazines, in other words, niche publications. So I already knew how to write news and feature articles for a specific market as opposed to the general public. What I didn't know and what it took me a while to realize is what I didn't know how to do, and that was write to one individual in that market on a personal basis. And that's not what journalists do, but that is what a copywriter does. You can write copy to a so-called avatar, but it works best when that avatar is one individual you can actually visualize, imagine talking to as a person, someone who holds the same values, beliefs, and preferences as the market at large. And those three things, values, beliefs, and preferences, they were all new to me in oh so many ways. It took me years to fully understand what they are, how they're different, and this is important, listen to me, how to respect someone who has different values and beliefs than I do. How could they actually be a good person when they thought differently than I did? Well, actually, most of them are good people. Not all, but that's true of any group. I mean, these days I have friends to the right and friends to the left of myself politically. And I'll tell you what, I can get along with all of them a lot better than I could before I started writing copy. And that's even when we stray into the dangerous waters of politics. But values and beliefs cover a lot more than the hot button topics of politics, religion, and culture. People have all kinds of different beliefs sincerely held. You might have no idea how they came to those beliefs, but as a copywriter, it's not your job to find out how they came to those beliefs. Your job is just to find out what they are and shape your message accordingly. Two things. Number one, we have a friend who works for a very, just actually was named copy chief for a very large financial printing Million dollar Mike. Yeah. I didn't want to say his name. Um, his political ideals 
are very much on the opposite end of the spectrum of the people that he writes to, but yeah. because he knows that market so well and he, because he understands that market so well, he's able to write very convincing copy to that market. Yeah, yeah he's and one of my be be best friends, and he also has family members who have the same beliefs as that market, and he gets along with them. Mm -hmm. So that's very important, and I think that's a skill that is lacking severely in today's world. Also, have you seen the meme? I think it's Steve Buscemi and he's dressed up like a teenager with a skateboard and it's like, hello, fellow teenagers. And he's totally faking like he's part of a group that he's not part of. No, um, that's, that's funny. Yeah. So it. a, a lot act. of times, a lot of times copy that's written from somebody who's just using the template and doesn't take the time to actually get to know the audience can start to feel like that. And one of the things I have. I've done a lot of one-off jobs where I work for two weeks or a month to write a sales page or a funnel for somebody. And then I have clients that keep me on retainer and I've worked with them for six months, eight months, two years, depending on what the situation is. Those customers, those clients writing to their audience after I really get to know their audience for writing for three or four months, that's when the real gold starts to come out. So I guess a, a tip to copywriters out there, if you can negotiate retainer deals where you're working with a client for more than just a two week or a one month basis, you're going to start seeing way better performing copy after you get to know the audience. And so I don't know if out of everything that you've said so far, that's the one that has really rung true for me. Well, if we measure it by the amount of words you've spoken, clearly this is the one that resonates with you. Yeah. All right. Let's go number six. Believability is the key to making a sale. So in his book, Diary of an Advertising Man, James Webb Young wrote, every type of advertiser has the same problem, namely to be believed. I didn't know this when I first started out. I was kind of naive and self-centered, like more than I am now. I figured if I investigated a product concluded it was a good value and wrote something reasonable and honest about it, people would buy it. Huh. Maybe if those people knew me personally, they might. But what I didn't realize when I first started writing copy is that getting people to believe you is one of the hardest jobs a copywriter has. Consider this. Number one, you are at odds with the prospect. You have something they want and they have money you want but most of the time, there's not a lot of initial trust in that relationship. Number two, because you are quote unquote selling something, the prospect figures if you're not outright lying, then you're at least shading the truth. Number three, your prospect has been burned before. What's to say this won't happen again if they buy from you? I didn't know any of those things when I started either. I hadn't just fallen off the turnip truck, but I was new to selling with the written word. Learning how to become believable has taken me full circle. The idea of making people believe some bullshit story is loads of fun, but it's really bad business. Not to mention that it could cause legal troubles. But learning how to make the truth believable, learning how to make the truth believable, that was the ultimate achievement for me. Now, last year, Nathan, maybe you remember, we did a whole show on believability and copywriting. And I put a link in the show notes in case people would like to listen to that or watch it. I only have one thing to add to that. You can have an offer 
and you can convince people to believe that your offer is legit and that it works. But if they don't believe in themselves, that's another huge hurdle. So believability, yes, but also getting them to believe that it'll work for them, that they can make it work is a huge hurdle that a lot of people ignore. And if you ignore it, it's going to be to your own detriment. I, I totally agree. Wow. That, that's like three shows that we could do. And maybe we should. So I, I won't say anything about it now. But yeah, that's, that's a huge one and really important point. All right. Seventh thing. The most important place to start is your prospect's problem and how they talk about it. So when I first started writing copy, I assumed that since the job of copy was to sell something to someone, the best place to start would to be find to be to find all the benefits of something I was trying to sell and how wrong I was. That's number two on the list. Number one on the list is the person I'm trying to sell it to because my job was not initially to make the prospect understand what I was selling. As a copywriter, my first job was to make the prospect feel understood. More specifically, to make the prospects feel like I understood their problem. That is the problem that would be solved by what I was selling. And to do that, I needed to talk about the problem in the same way that the prospects talked about the problem themselves. This was a major revelation. And it's something I see a lot of copywriters have never fully learned, or if they have, they write like they don't consider it important. But it's crucial. I learned this before long, and when I did, my copy started performing a lot better. I just saw this on Twitter. Feel like if I could find the perfect paper planner, all my problems would be solved. And I think it was a snarky remark, but if a lot of people truly feel that way, then you've got a great market for paper planners. Mm -hmm. The way you find out how people talk about their problems, though, is not by doom scrolling on Twitter. The way you find this out is by talking to people, by asking questions and listening, really listening to what they have to say. One of the biggest secrets to effective copywriting. I would say uh, Dr. Stephen Covey, the late Dr. Stephen Covey, his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of them was Seek First to Understand, Then to Be Understood. How to Win Friends and Influence People, was that? Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. And, uh, one of the main points that he put in there was, if you want to be interesting, be interested. And mm -hmm. then the last saying, and I have no idea where this comes from, but People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. These are basic relationship rules. And to think that they wouldn't apply to the selling relationship in copy is a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, they definitely do. All right. Well, um, should I recap them? Yeah, let's recap them real quick. Okay. So the first thing is your prospect is a tougher critic than any editor I ever had. Second thing is it's almost impossible to sell anyone anything they don't want if you want the sale to stick. Third thing, most advertising you see in the media doesn't sell anything. Number four, cleverness and copy can work against you. Number five, the better you really know your target market, the better your copy will do. Six, 
Believability is the key to making a sale. And seven, the most important place to start is your prospect's problem and how they talk about it. Man, David, thank you so much for putting this together. This is uh, These are hard lessons I think all of us as copywriters have had to go through. And I bet that there's one or two listeners out there that maybe haven't had to go through and you just saved them a lot of pain, time, and probably money as well. So thank you for putting these together, man. You're welcome. And yeah, writing it was sort of a purge for me. So I <laughs> All right. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, make sure you head over to copywriterspodcast.com, like the show, subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 